0: Prime Minister. I get a new title every week. It's nice. Awesome. Hey, live listeners. Welcome to Montreal Sauce Season
1: 3. If you're listening to a download from our site or through iTunes or through the feed, uh, well, you should know that we record these live every Thursday evening. So just go to montrealsauce.com and click the live button. And even on the live, page there's a chat window so you just put in your nickname and uh fill in the capture to prove that you are human and you can interact with us or distract <laughs> us,
0: whatever your flavor. Um we welcome join. robots as well. We welcome <laughs> they're they're fine. If you uh if you can't join us, uh
1: Paul has worked some magic uh so you can jump on Twitter and use the hashtag ask sauce to send us questions for future shows. Um Hey, speaking of us, my name's Chris, and I'm coming to you from Edmonton, Canada. And on this audio adventure with me from Michigan is the Prime Minister of Podcasting, Paul.
0: (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Prime Minister. I get a new title every week. It's nice. I know. I'm trying them all out. Um,
1: (laughs) On this show, Paul and I talk to makers, uh, folks who are creating art, um, developing apps and services, and people who are, you know, pioneering through the new pathways in our internet-connected world. Uh, tonight's guest goes by the rad job description of professional soul bearer. Nicole, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, thanks for having me.
1: So, um, please introduce yourself to our audience, mostly my mother. Um, <laughs> why? Why do you get out of bed? What are your areas of interest? Your favorite campfire treat? Whatever you'd like to share.
2: Sure. So um, I uh, I got kind of a, a funny little background that I guess makes maybe makes sense to other people, but kind of makes sense to me. I've been following my curiosity, as Elizabeth Gilbert puts it, for the last couple of years. Um, I started out uh, working in nonprofits um, in Ottawa and loved it. Um, Found my way into kind of startups, played in the tech space there for a little bit. Um, ran um, ran a nonprofit in Ottawa uh, called Ladies Running Code, our local chapter, and did some work with our national team. And throughout all those experiences, I was writing. I was always kind of had my like little rinky dink dot blog that got you know updated on occasion and. Um, as I was kind of like sharing stories, of these journeys, um, people started kind of gravitating towards them. So no matter what I've been doing for the last few years, I've always been writing. And then this past summer I decided to kind of go full tilt into that. So that's what I've been doing for the last little while.
1: Sweet. So, um, you said you were previously working for nonprofits. I have been following your blog and reading, uh, your writing. So, um, I know that, uh, You definitely had some challenges and some stressors and (laughs) took you a while Mm -hmm. in this journey and you're still on it, right? Totally. Totally. (laughs) So, um, so you're doing, uh, writing now as Mm -hmm. kind of your full-time gig?
2: Yeah, I, um, I do a few kind of other things here and there, but I'm mostly, I'm mostly writing. Um, I write a lot about just kind of myself and my stories. And I've, I really enjoyed also showcasing other people's stories. Um, I think the beautiful thing, no matter what you're doing is that a story, you know, as opposed to advice gives, it really allows people to kind of see possibilities that would never have been there before. Um, and so, so I've been doing, I've been dabbling again in my own blog. I write for a few other places as well. I'm working on some longer term projects, Um, but yeah, I'm just really fascinated by this concept of stories and collecting people's stories, um, and how that kind of opens our minds to what's possible in terms of whether that's work or how we live our lives or doing things a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I'm really fascinated by this concept of stories.
1: Yeah, that's, um, it's a post that I've been putting off writing for quite a while now. (laughs) I guess three seasons of podcasting to be exact, but, um, it's something that I've learned um, as Paul and I have been doing this show is that everyone has a story and stories are are so, you know, motivating and inspiring. I mean, for, for years being from the States, I listened to NPR, um, America's CBC, and uh, um, <laughs> so – I listen to like Radio Lab and This American Life and just some of these stories, like these are just like average people and they're going through maybe what is an average situation. But the way the story is presented, you know, everyone has a story and they're so powerful in that way.
2: Yeah, I think we're really mean to our stories. Um, we judge them. We kind of pre-label them as as worth sharing or too personal or not personal enough or too universal. But I think, I forget who it was. I think it might've been Lena Dunham that said it. It's like, we all think we're a lot weirder than we are. And when we let those stories out of the box and we stop kind of labeling them and just let them come out as they are, there's so much connection that happens through them. And I also think stories are really a nice gentle way of bringing people together because again, in that kind of opposition to advice, it's not like saying, this is what I think is right. This is how I think, you know, people should live. It's here's my experience. Take what you need to permit and leave the rest. And I think that's a really beautiful gift to give other people.
1: Yeah. That's a great way to definitely look at it. I mean, you, that's such a, an excellent point is, um, if there's one thing that I excel at more than anything else, it's that, uh, um, judging myself. (laughs) And so, you know, and the funny thing is, is this, uh, this show and, um, this microphone in front of my face is like liberating at times. So I can think of stories like, Oh, I'm never going to tell anybody that, you know, I (laughs) fell for like, credit card fraud on the phone or something like yeah. that. And then as we talk to a guest or something, it just spills out of me. And then, you know, it's, it's in a way it's like, Oh, that wasn't as crazy as I thought. Cause there are p- people on the show now are saying, Oh yeah, that happened to me. And the other thing is it's almost like cathartic to get it out of you. Right. Instead of mm-hmm. letting it spin around inside of you and beat yourself up about it.
2: Totally. Totally. I feel like I've been recently. I, I went through a little phase in kind of December and January where I just wasn't posting because I need to feel like I need to update my website to be, it's a little outdated now in terms of kind of like where I'm at. And I felt like the words that I had kind of in me didn't fit on my website. And so I wasn't posting anything for like over a month. And I normally post weekly and it's like totally been getting to me. I like feel all these stories stuck inside me that like need to get out and it's totally weighing me down. And so I'm in the process now kind of clearing out that backlog and even just writing for the sake of writing and see and getting things out. And I think that's there's a lot to be said for that.
1: Yeah, I I'm horrible at uh, prioritizing things. Um, I'm not I can do it, but I, I just seem to always get it wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> Not that there's a right or wrong, but I will I was going right. to say
2: I was like, what's wrong?
1: Well I'll get an idea like you just said like you know I need to update my website and then it's like every time I sit down to like write something I'm like oh I should really be spending this time to update the site (laughs) you know and I guilt myself that way and then like you said I I sort of fall into that like now I haven't written anything in a month because I had this grandiose idea I was gonna (laughs) fix things.
2: Exactly.
1: Uh, We've had a previous guest who is a um, who makes a web comic and uh, he and I spent some time talking about WordPress and how you spend so much time like uh, instead of just like adding to your site then like making sure plugins are working and doing all these things and I was like that's exactly why I left WordPress I really enjoyed it but now I'm just on Tumblr I just open it up and write
2: (laughs) yeah what do you write
1: um my my journey on the internet has been uh rather ridiculous but it is my story um i started out many years ago even before i had a computer of my own um drawing things in uh a paint uh paint Shop pro a photoshop knockoff I would draw silly wallpapers and things like that and I made a website to display them so people could download them and that progressed into sort of a blog where I was pretty much like everyone else where you're just sort of like sharing silly things and reposting things from other websites and um, I had a forum on that webpage too. All these were like free sites so it was like (laughs) whatever name I came up with Uh, like dot something else. (laughs) And, um, and then eventually in the last probably three to five years, um, (laughs) paying attention to like traffic and analyticals and things like that would really make me crazy. And I was doing it, but I started to notice like when I just let, let it go and I just started writing things like I was feeling and, handling it more like a blog rather than like I'm going to repost things that everyone else is posting. Um, I noticed that I was like, oh my goodness, I had a lot of people click on that link. You know, I had eight people click on some video that I thought was entertaining and I had 26 people click on my blog about being anonymous online. Crazy. (laughs) So I don't, that's one thing where I'm kind of Treating it still like a blog and just this is how Chris feels at the moment. I don't feel like I have a central um, focus or subject matter. So I'll post a blog about how I um, did something crazy to my computer, like a little tutorial or how to. And then the next one is um, just me like ranting about uh, privacy in Google. So
2: (laughs) there you go. And the theme Uh is you. I feel like people forget that sometimes, like especially multi-passionate people. They're like, I don't know how I can connect all these things. You're like, the connection to all these things.
1: That's really good advice. And, um, it kind of makes me think of, uh, I was as I was catching up, um, reading one of your posts on like, um, work-life balance or the ridiculous yeah. idea of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I like your idea of a work-life blend. Um, Do you want to share some of that with our audience?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, um, I've been really lucky in the last few years to work at places that I also really cared about. And I think that's one of the, uh, the trade-offs for the really mediocre salary in the nonprofit sector. I think mediocre is even generous is often you're working (laughs) on things that you really care about. Um, terrible is another way of putting it, um, But, you know, when I'm going to work, I'm not just like doing work and coming home. It's like things that I'm really passionate about. And it's a part of who I am. And it's kind of I found myself hard, I found it hard to turn that off, you know, after work, and, you know, trying to force myself into this concept of like work life balance, you know, separating the two having that division, having that mental division, in addition to the time division, it just didn't work for me at all. And so it was embracing this concept of work-life blend, allowing the two to kind of bleed together. So like, you know, people at the office are not just my colleagues, they're my friends, and the work I'm working on isn't just the work I do to get a paycheck. It's, you know, there's a piece of myself in it. Um, But the trade-off of that is that, you know, I'm also going to take those same kind of concerns home a little bit. And, you know, if I'm out in an event and someone's talking about, you know, the kind of work that we do, of course I'm going to bring work up and I'm going to kind of champion – Um, the cause that I'm working for. And so it was kind of letting go of that rigidity and opening myself up to kind of letting them blend together. And it was, um, someone mentioned once that kind of the amount of hours, the average hours like a North American works in their life. And it's like, if that's not, if, you know, there's work and then there's life, like you are spending so many hours not living if you're totally separating your work and your life. And I will put a caveat there that, like, it is—it's a, a really privileged conversation to be having, um, to have this even luxury of considering the two. Um, I just want to kind of—I think it's important to acknowledge um, the amount of privilege that happens in these conversations. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's trade-offs, right? When you're taking that work home with you, but. I don't ultimately don't want to work somewhere or don't want to be somewhere where I have to check my personality, my values at the door in order to be able to kind of tap out by five.
1: That's been, that's been a big uh, slogan of mine as the world of social media rises. I mean, um, (laughs) Paul got me onto Twitter shortly after it came into being and Um, you know, then a year later I have friends who are like, well, this is, you know, my account where uh, we can chat, but I also have this other account, which is kind of like my work account. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And people are like, well, you're an idiot, you know, like employers look at those kind of things. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe because I think I'm funny or smart, I say some things and I have foot and mouth disease, but that's going to happen when I work there. Like I can't. I don't want to be two different people (laughs) hands down.
2: No, for sure. For sure. And yeah, that's just been the, and I've always worked in like small, I've always gravitated towards small organizations and like businesses and teams just because I like that kind of dynamic of being able to like be close to the people you're working with. Um, and kind of put your personal stamp on things. So I've never had that experience of working in like a giant office. Um, but yeah, math no, that's just me. But when I, it's funny when I put that, so I posted that to um, a website called Labo League, which is a young women's career website. And it got picked up in a few places. It got picked up to Business Insider first. People loved it. Tons of shares. It, that audience was like, yes. But then it gets picked up and posted in a Huffington Post. And they always tell you not to read the comments, especially for women. <laughs> You're not supposed to read the comments. It's a horrible, horrible place. For some yes. reason, I did. And it was like, people are like, well, oh, who is this? Like, enti- I bet she's like some young, white, millennial, so entitled, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, it is important to acknowledge the privilege in this discussion. Um, to even have the luxury about worrying about what kind of work you want to do um, is an incredible luxury. But uh, And how you want to have the privilege to be able to actively structure your life in a way that works for you. We're very lucky few people who get to do that. Um, but yeah, that was, it was interesting to see the different reactions to the piece based on the different audiences that it was in front of.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I agree like that it's definitely situational, but, um, I don't know. I was thinking about it as I was reading that piece and, um, even thinking about, uh, I, Like you, I feel like I am in a bit of a privilege at the moment, but, um, you know, I think, uh, my friend Paul here is really passionate about what he does. And so, um, but he's also passionate about his family. So I feel (laughs) like, um, you know, I'll read a lot of tweets by Paul and and like, wait, why is he working? It's like nine o'clock at night. And then I'll read other tweets like during the day. And I'm like, isn't he working today? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think, like like you said, um, Paul is uh, really enjoys his job, and I'm speaking for him. Uh, so, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I, I think I'm lucky to work at a place where the philosophy kind of of everybody there. I mean, it's a pretty standard eight thirty to five kind of job, typically. That that would be the normal office hours, but it's um, it's a place where the overriding philosophy is that uh, you work to live, you don't live to work. So, um, and we all enjoy what we do and everybody who's there is kind of somewhat entrepreneurial and sort of has agency over the stuff that they're doing when they're there. Um, so hopefully you're enjoying it, but at the same time, your, your, your commitment there is, is to get the job done. Some people do take it home with them and do it from home because it makes more sense for them to do that, to do that that way. Um, I uh, tend to uh, leave most of my office concerns at the office as much as I can um, so that when I'm home, I'm, I'm tuned in to uh, my family. Um, but at the same time, sometimes something needs to get done at 9.30 at night and uh, hopefully uh, by that point the girls are in bed and I can sit in the office for a little while and crank something out. And I don't mind doing that because I know I have the flexibility to um you know take a half day the next day and not have anybody look at me sideways because I did that so
2: totally and I think it's also really important in workplaces for um for leadership to model that kind of actual balance that taking time I remember I am um, run on an employee um at an organization I was working for and my my colleague and I we would often email each other just kind of in the evening, we're hanging out, watching TV, 10, 11 o'clock. It's normal for a couple of emails to go back and forth. And this girl, this new girl, um, one day she was out at, I guess, a dinner. And I get this email. She was CC'd in this exchange. And she says, oh, guys, I'm sorry. I'm out at dinner right now. I'll like get to this when I get home. It shouldn't be too long. And I emailed her back. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, Just so you know, just because we're doing this, because this happens to work for us, does <laughs> like, by no means mean that you have to. Fall into this, um, but I think it's a real easy trap to fall into. Just feel like you have to go lockstep with what everyone else is doing. And I think we often kind of in these conversations about work life balance and work life blend left to, leave too many things unsaid. Um, but I think we need to be a little bit more specific in this like culture of like glorifying busy um, about what we actually expect from our employees and our team members and our colleagues.
0: Yeah, it's I I would agree with that, uh, because I know that I have team members um just depending on uh which group I, of people that I'm working with that do all have different expectations. And uh for some of them if they are on uh you know, if they are instant messaging or emailing at uh at eight o'clock at night on Christmas Eve or something like that, they kind yeah. of expect other people to be doing the same thing and um that that can get frustrating and it, it and it can um, it can hurt your team dynamics now here I'm talking like the manager <laughs> that I am right but yeah. it 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 helps to talk to everybody in that kind of a circumstance and just set the expectations and to keep that to keep pushing that philosophy from again from leadership that um, we're not, we're, yes, we want to keep our clients happy. Yes. We want to provide excellent service. That is what, you know, gets us all paid and, and, uh, make sure that we can take care of each other. But at the same time, um, we, uh, don't live to work. We work to live. So let's keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: That was interesting. What was your phrasing about being busy? Culture of busy or?
2: Oh God, the glorification of busy, the like <laughs> yeah, temple of busy, whatever yeah. you want to call it. It's just insane, and like I, totally guilty of that for a while. And I had a, a very, very briefly worked at a marketing agency. Wonderful company, amazing company, terrible fit. Me in that role, um, <laughs> oh, just awful or horrible. Um, great company. Uh and since they found someone perfect for their role and I'm thrilled for them. But uh it was in that startup space and I have to say, like I fell into the trap of, you know, you end up like Brian, oh I only got like five hours of sleep or, you know, got had to get up for this conference call or had to, you know, go to this event. Um, and you almost feel guilty saying, Oh yeah, like I need to go to bed and get eight hours of sleep or I feel really rested today. It's like what have you been doing if you feel so <laughs> rested? Um it's incredible. It's just incredible. I've now totally reformed. I love my sleep. Need my eight and a half hours. Don't have kids. Totally possible.
0: <laughs>
2: um, no one day it's probably going to go out the window, but for now, holding on to that. Um, but it's amazing how much things like glorifying lack of sleep. We do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a thing.
1: That is wild. So I, I have to, now I have to ask. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm newly um, Canadian, so oh. I'm, I'm just learning these things. Are you Are you from Ottawa or were you born in BC? Yeah, oh,
2: born and raised. Yeah. Actually, I haven't sound, run away yet.
1: You sound like someone from BC with all this talk about not being busy and I'm just. Kidding. I know.
2: Right? I went out to <laughs> Victoria this past fall, and I was like, "Damn, I like it here."
1: <laughs> yes. Every spring we end up in Vancouver because my wife has relatives there. And every spring I'm like, enjoy your flight back home, honey. I'm staying here.
2: (laughs) Oh, what? No, it's great. If it wasn't so far, I'd love to live there.
1: I just listened to – I'm a big fan of podcasts. Imagine that. I'm on one. Uh, I just listened to – Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist interview, Michael Ironside, who I didn't realize was an an actor who I didn't realize was Canadian. And he was just like, there's something funny about the mountains. Like over there in B.C., they don't count as Canadian. They're like hippies or something. <laughs> I started laughing because I was like, oh, I can get these Canadian jokes now.
2: Yeah, no, I uh, it is very different out there. And I, would, I don't think I could ever do like Vancouver proper, but I really liked Victoria. I was very pleasantly surprised. Very cool place.
1: Yeah. My, um, wife's uh, grandmother before she passed, uh, it was in Carameas, just little town. <laughs> so I was, uh, in Kelowna, BC in Carameas and they're just oh, all it's like gorgeous.
2: Beautiful around there.
1: Yeah, it's just gorgeous country, and I was like, I could do this. But yeah, Vancouver like is kind of nuts, but (laughs) not that I could ever afford to live there.
2: (laughs) I know. I was saying that to my boyfriend the other day. It's like you know Ottawa. Like sometimes it, you know, think about oh maybe you know move to Toronto or you know places like New York. You've got friends living there, and you think you know there's a lot you're missing out on. A lot of opportunity. There is a lot of opportunities in places like that, just in the sheer number of people and things going on but the quality of life and like the ability to live in a nice place on a reasonable budget. I just can't imagine giving that up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was a point of conversation even back in the States when I was uh, younger. So, cause I had uh, friends who were in Detroit and it's mm. not, not by any means like an expensive place to live, but it was more expensive than our little hometown in West right. Michigan. And so they were like, you know, one of them was like, why don't we move back home? The other one's like, where am I going to work? And she was like, I don't know, but I just feel like we could have like, you know, a mansion here in the small town <laughs> compared to our little house in Detroit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. but I don't know.
1: But yeah, happiness is, uh, Happiness is definitely a big winner over busy, for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. and i th- I think it's easy to it's easy to trick ourselves into thinking that we're so busy that we don't even have time to solve our problems because we just have to be running from thing to thing. Yeah. Um, and that 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 creates just uh, increasing levels. It's like a it's like a ongoing cycle of anxiety because you're. You know something's wrong and you feel like you don't have enough time to fix it and then at some point you just end up kind of shutting yourself down and getting paralyzed because you don't even know what that next thing is and you haven't taken the time to solve the problem and the problem really is something along the lines of you're overcommitted or maybe it is as even as simple as you are not getting enough sleep and so you're not thinking clearly or... um, (laughs) <laughs> you didn't take time to eat breakfast this morning, and now yeah. you know everything is everything is off. You're just biologically yeah. off now.
2: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I think there's a lot of times we trick ourselves into thinking that our problems are harder to solve than they are because we don't want to we don't want to face them. No, for sure. I think the other be- real trick with the whole busy trap is that um, being busy is a really easy way to get cheap and quick external validation Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really addictive Um,
0: and like in the sense that you've taken on lots and lots of small tasks that you can yeah
2: or like I'm busy I must be important I'm doing uh, things there's things for me to do that I know it's that we're equating busyness with importance. Um, and yeah, it's like a real quick and dirty way of getting validation that becomes really addictive.
1: Right. And even it's even sort of like, you know, not to uh, belittle anyone's job, but it's, it's, it's easy to get that sort of uh, one-off or quick like dopamine drip of validation instead of just like taking that moment to sit still and go, and be in a moment with yourself and think, wait, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Because you're getting that like one person that said, oh, that looks great. Thanks. And you've got your instant validation versus your self validation of I feel good about what I did today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So are you doing some coaching as well or besides uh, just me and Paul?
2: Really, really informally, I think just kind of like the skill set I've had. I've recently discovered that I can do a lot of that just through speaking and I much prefer that format. Again, like I said, I've been Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote the book E Pray, Love um, talks about how she thinks it's really cruel that we tell people to follow their passion because a lot of people don't know what their passion is. And passion is a moving target. So it's mean to tell someone, we'll just figure it out and follow it. Um, so she suggested instead to follow their curiosity. So that's what I've been doing. Um, back in the summer, I thought, you know, maybe I'd like to, to try coaching um, as a way of, of serving people and as a way of building my business. But over time, I came to understand that that's not quite how I want to use my skill set. So like I said, I'm exploring the speaking and the writing and that's almost been like half the fun of striking out on my own is figuring out what I do like, what I don't like, what sticks, what doesn't and kind of chasing down the things that work well.
1: Yeah. Do you ever get lost? Like for me? Um... <laughs>
2: <laughs> is it, it, I feel like it's more like, are you ever not lost? Like yeah, you ever okay. find your way out.
1: <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Good to know. I'm not alone. Uh, yeah. Um, I talk about it way too much on the show and three seasons of it. Wow. That's really bad too. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, when I first came here, I couldn't work for a year because I was still a dirty, nasty American. So I couldn't steal Canadian jobs. Um, and so to be like, I did some freelance stuff for, uh, people back in the States. Um, but for a year of not working, and then to like jump back out in the market, I'm like, is this what I want to do anymore? Like, <laughs> and then as you know, my wife's being super supportive, uh, financially and mentally, and telling me, like, you can do what you want. And then it's like, well, what do I want to do? I sort of like get lost in the options or get lost in the insecurities like oh i don't want to if i change gears now does that mean i have to go back to school and can i afford to do that and you know you get lost in a lot of that stuff too yeah so yeah yeah, i'm looking for you to coach me then um
2: (laughs) okay i'll I'll let you know when i figure it out and then i will pass the memo (laughs) around and make lots of money i think i figure that one out
1: (laughs) yes the, yeah. the, fam- the famous word monetize you have to monetize yourself
2: yeah yeah. <laughs> yep and that's the other thing I'd like I wish we were all a little bit more honest about the fact that we're all just figuring it out I feel like it took me a little while to understand that like everyone else just kind of like goes like one further up to the food chain to someone who has it like a little bit more figured out than they do or like is lost at a higher level mm-hmm. um but we're all just, it was like when I realized that, it was like the curtain of like the great mystery was pulled back. No one knows what they're doing. No one has any idea what they're doing. <laughs> we're all just making it up as best we can as we go along. And I wish we were a little bit more honest about that.
0: Yeah, so, I, I, I kind of liken that to the point in your, uh, maybe in your childhood when you realize that your parents are just humans. they're they're not uh they're not um like omnipresent all-knowing god beings that gave you life they're they they did give you life but they actually kind might not even really know how that happened in some cases so Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh they're just trying to raise you uh hopefully better than they were raised so that you don't make their mistakes or whatever that you know whatever that thing is yeah And, um, and yeah, like you say, they're lost at a different level. You're lost learning how to read, but they're, they're lost learning what the words mean. So, um, and you, you just keep going through that cycle of like, okay, I figured out that problem, but each problem begets the next problem. Um, and each, hopefully if you're going the right direction, those problems are, uh, are maybe broader in scope. And not necessarily more complicated, but because you haven't confronted them yet, you don't know the answer to them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely.
1: Yeah, the work culture when I was like embedded in the office and doing all that stuff, it was like I had that same realization like, oh, okay. Like I'm not the only one. This feels good. Like I get this now. And then to take a year off and move here and start like – looking for work and just like uh, reading like job descriptions. I'm like, Holy cow. Like <laughs> what one person does all of this. That's insane. And then like, I have to remind myself and like <laughs> give myself another kick going, Oh wait, that's just, you know, that's, that's what they, uh, that's they're just covering themselves or this is human resources, giving a description. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like um yeah because it's definitely we're all seem to be lost and we're just making up as we go along mm-hmm. so i noticed uh a lot of uh excited tweets from nicole about um the movie wild which had sort of a limited yes. release i think and um i didn't know anything about it and uh I started to learn more and I wanted to see it, but I think again, since it had sort of an art house release, it was only in one theater here in town and for like a week. So really? Uh, yeah. I could, hmm. it could be wrong. Like it might've actually opened somewhere else, but um, you know, it was holidays and things um, just making excuses now, but did the book or did the movie live up to the book?
2: Oh, totally. It was just, it was just phenomenal. And I think, Wilde is a great, Wild is one of the things that really got me kind of turned on to this power of stories. So, um, so Cheryl, so for those that don't know what it is, Wilde is a book about a well, woman named Cheryl Strayed. It's a memoir that she wrote. Um, and when she was in her early 20s, her mother passed away and it kind of ripped a hole in her world. And she kind of, a whole bunch of, uh, fell into that hole. You know, she ended up getting a divorce at a young age from her husband, from her first husband. And she kind of like there was a period where she was doing heroin and like it was just things kind of went off the rails for her. And she decided one day um, she's going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which is one of those incredible long trails that goes from Mexico to the border of Canada. Um, very little experience, actually almost no experience. She just decided she was going to do this for herself. And the book Wild Chronicles her her journey. Um, and it ends at the very end of the trail and it's, um, an incredible book. Um, like if you're just into great writing, it's awesome. She's also very funny, very smart, um, really vivid book. And for a long time, I totally avoided that book. Um, my own mother passed away a few years ago and I knew about the book and people would always be like, Oh, have you read wild? I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe, 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 um, but I didn't like this idea of reading this book about this woman whose mom died and then her whole life goes to shit uh, because I was really worried that like that would happen to me. And so I avoided it, I avoided it, I avoided it. And then something made me pick it up last summer and I read it and I realized that, first of all, at the end of the book, there's actually a really happy ending. Um, not necessarily like a, a cookie cutter happy ending, but it is a very happy ending. And Cheryl Strayed now is a extremely successful author- who has a movie out, who is friends with Oprah and is married <laughs> to two kids. So, like, very happy ending for Cheryl Strayed. Um, but there's a really happy ending to the book, and I realized that the book is less—it's more a story of kind of realizing that you were okay all along, not necessarily being okay, but realizing you were okay all along. And recently, Reese Witherspoon, who has become very frustrated with the lack of roles for nuanced, complex women, on screen started a production company to create these stories. And she ended up optioning Cheryl's book and making it into a movie and playing um, Cheryl. And I just, it's really the book and the subsequent movie really ignited my passion for, you know, if this book, Cheryl, out of nowhere can give me this gift of kind of seeing my story reflected somewhere and letting me know that I'm not alone. And again, teaching me something in a very gentle way of allowing me to come at the story. And take what I need and leave the rest. Um, That's really special. And so, and that's the only reason I write. It's to repay all these other people who have done that for me by doing it for other people.
1: That's really nice. Yeah, there's, I didn't, I think I heard that, but I didn't actually, uh, you sort of jolted that from my memory, but. Yeah, that Reese Witherspoon produced that film herself.
2: Yeah, it's she made Gone Girl, like she's like killing it, like financially at the box office. But there's so few roles for women like this. But she's trying to Mm -hmm. prove that, like, no, we can, and these are financially viable. And you know, you talk, it's funny you talk about Wild, limited release, and a lot of people, you know, are like, oh, that's like the women's movie. I'm not going to go see that. In the way that people dismiss, maybe Tyler Perry is like black movies that's not for me but no these stories are universal stories we need to kind of break the molds around them
1: yeah we do and also i mean i'm it just it blows my mind that like um like right now hollywood is so busy like um Wooing the global market, so the big like summer blockbusters, like the Iron Man's and stuff, like they they shoot alternate scenes for other countries, so that there's like an in joke for China and an in joke mm-hmm. for Germany. And wow! Yeah, they 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 do all this extra stuff so that they can you know mm-hmm. then distribute the film wider and make more money, and yeah, like. You know, still like I can't remember the number exactly, but it must be like eighty-six percent of all the films are still like white males. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just blows my mind. I mean, I think uh, it's a post that I did a while ago or a repost of um one of those uh, little online graphics that someone made, uh, but it was about um, women in Hollywood and. Um, but, and then they did this interesting thing where they added in some other minorities and it was just crazy, like how it's still dominantly white males. And yet like our audience is so much bigger.
2: Totally. Totally. And I think, yeah, I mean, there's Maggie Gyllenhaal said it best at the Golden Globes when she accepted her, her award. And she talked about how she's like, I love that I'm seeing more roles for women that are again, nuanced, right? That it's not just the strong woman. Well, she can also be weak at times and she can be, you know, kind and she can be cruel like human beings can. And I think that that's what's so, you know, we have these women falling into categories. Even if it's po- positive stories about women, it's still a very narrow, they're only allowed a narrow range of their humanity to operate yes. in. yeah. And then forget like the Bechtel test, which is having two named characters, female who talk to each other in the movie besi- about something besides a man, which is a frighteningly <laughs> small number of films past that test, actually. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity, and I'm diving into it, and I think it's really exciting. And it's also, it's an economic opportunity, you know, to take all these underrepresented audiences seriously and create for them. It gives a serious business opportunity, too.
0: It's true that there's a so the the thing that has flared up over uh, the course of 2014 and 2015 uh, in some of the industries that that I follow is uh, the whole GamerGate thing, right? Where you've got um, people uh, wanting to critique games as art, and that means bringing in um, critiques of gender stereotypes of racial stereotypes as they're portrayed in video games and if we're going to take video games seriously as art what does it mean that we have to draw the women overly curvy they're curvier than barbie dolls even which has always been the thing that i have heard uh you know critiqued as the the thing that we're giving our little girls to play with as their role model is this Barbie doll. That's overly curvaceous.
2: I think I'm more scared about how we're giving that to our little boys (laughs) as a lens to see women. Yeah. Totally honest. It's horrible. How we're like, that's scarier to me.
0: And, and the backlash against that from the, the stayed, um, stereotypical gamer market of young white males who, um, they probably five years ago would have campaigned to consider the to consider games art because they think of that as uh, a good goal to see their games as art. But if you then bring in legitimate critiques of um, how we're portraying women and racial uh, characters inside of video games, um, suddenly their the the art form as they know it is very threatened and that's the kind of game that they want to buy and they don't want other kinds of gamers who could appreciate, uh, women portrayed more realistically, uh, and, uh, reducing those stereotypes inside of this art form, uh, and making all of the characters more three dimensional and not three dimensional in a graphics way, but three dimensional in a character way, in a depth way and giving a female lead, um, character in it whether it's a movie or a or a video game, uh, that kind of depth that makes them a real person that you would identify with.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely.
0: But I'm I'm encouraged, I guess, that the conversation is is becoming so much louder again. I feel like this is something that uh, you know, we had a lot of um, we had a lot of movements that we all kind of heard about in history class about uh, racial movements and women's liberation that all happened before we were born. And we were kind of raised to think that that's all done now. Um, and the reality is it's not done at all. We just kind of say that everybody's equal. and in reality, we don't have that equality because, The people who have the power are still kind of enforcing a structure that they're comfortable with Mm -hmm. um, instead of loosening that up. And I'm glad that that conversation is getting louder again and is becoming something that everybody hears and not something that um, stays in the fringes of our society and and is kind of brushed off as, oh, it's. It's the people from that far fringe going off about whatever that is again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's tough. And there's still a lot of conversation kind of happening within circles that are already talking about it, making a lot of progress. But it's, it's yeah, again, helping people see that these aren't kind of fringe issues, that they're human right. rights issues.
0: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's tough. It's tough.
0: I'm I'm sure if you talk to um <laughs> I'm sure there are crowds of uh, uh of women and minorities where this conversation has never stopped. Um it just got pushed off and it got it gets treated as this fringe thing and it's not a fringe thing. And like you said, there's there's a market opportunity that's represented because uh women are are Quickly becoming the largest uh, target market for uh, video games, we're the ones buying them. Yeah, exactly.
2: Everything, literally, like almost everything you want. Yeah, we are your customers.
0: But on top of that, for the market to more accurately reflect the society that we want to be, can only be a good thing.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really encouraging. There's a whole, a whole campaign and uh, it's called we need diverse books and it's about trying to get like these diverse characters in, in children's books, which I think is a really kind of interesting and fun place to, to start.
1: Yeah, that's a very smart place to start. And my wife is a teacher and I end up helping out at the school a lot and I'm always like, I'm of like two minds because I'm obviously not an educator, but at the same time, when I'm organizing things, I'm just like, I get really worried. I'm like, who writes these children's books? (laughs) Like, I understand that they have to be at a a much simpler level because these are grade two readers. But at the same time, I'm like, what are we teaching in this book about a duck? You know, (laughs) like it's better. Like she had, um, she actually had uh, I think it was two years ago a student that had two moms, and so of course, at some point there was i won't I don't want it's such a an ugly word now bullying there but there was some chatter among students in the playground and so um, my wife uh, contacted someone a friend of hers. In the ATA, the Teaching Association, and um, they sent her a bunch of free books um, covering that, so that she could add them to the classroom reading, and you know they could have a discussion about this. And so, you know, it's you're right; like that's the level that we need to start at for sure to open some eyes.
2: And again, like to me, that's the power of stories: is this really non intrusive way of just presenting.
1: Mm-hmm. a different
2: way of seeing things a different way of thinking about it and again, in a way that is not prescriptive it's just presenting something that opens someone's perspective
1: and it's true because there's power in stories so i'm telling you a story of a girl with two moms which it's pulling at strings um to blatantly say it, but it's pulling at strings of like parents that are listening right now because they're like, Oh, I don't want my child to be harassed at school, regardless of what your views are about lesbians or, you know, people of the same sex getting together. You don't want your child ridiculed. So now there's that connection. Like, wait, why, why is it again that I don't want like same sex marriage? Like, so so stories pull more than just like someone at a pulpit debating something.
2: Totally. There's a gentleness there that I really I that I think is pretty special.
1: Yeah, it's I I mean, I just gave the example, but it's always uh it's always really interesting to see someone who whose mind gets opened by a story, you know, someone who's like vehemently debating like Against something, and then they hear a story, and they they sort of then they're trying to like justify it. Well, that's well, it's different because it's you and your parents, and I know them and I like them. No, it's not different. That's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right. So it's it's really interesting to see that that connection being made, and and um, and stories do have that power.
2: Yeah. So go see Wild. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I'm totally I totally want to see that I was uh when I saw the preview I was like pretty excited
2: visually it's like a really cool movie very cool if you're into the outdoors at all mm. pretty impressive stuff Yeah.
1: well and I, I really like the idea that she just sort of like sets off and like those those of those folks who are outdoors people are just like, wait, you didn't prepare yourself correctly. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of like the other movie with wild in the title into the wild. I really like that one.
2: I haven't seen the movie. I just read the book is, have you, did you read the book?
1: I did. And of course I made the mistake of seeing the movie first. And so, um, that's always a no, no, but, um, What really bothered me about the book. And of course we're having this discussion about story right now. um, Is I read the book because I was interested in it after I saw the movie. And then I felt sort of strange that in his book, he was sort of like telling this person the story. And then the next chapter was a story of his own, like in a similar situation. And that kind of like, It rubbed me the wrong way, but honestly, now that I'm a little bit older and hopefully wiser, um, I've definitely learned with my own writing that I do very well to use the word I, and I, you know, write what, you know, is what they say. So I can kind of see how he would probably want to include his own story in this story to sort of draw similarities. So totally. So, yeah. yeah, but I definitely enjoyed the movie more than the book, but I should really? pick, oh, pick up the book it. again.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, the movie's been on my long list for ages.
1: I think um, I think the other thing for me is uh, it takes a lot of authors to do it, but it I think it takes like a certain uh, je ne sais quoi um, <laughs> for you to be able to um, mix events in chapters so like you know so many um like i don't i can't think of a super example right now but i'm assuming it's been a while since i read any sort of silly Stephen king books but i think he like presents you with like okay and then he opened the door next chapter and you're in like a grocery store with a different character and you're like wait Mm -hmm. i have to keep reading to figure out and i think that's what i felt with into the wild was like I'm reading a story. I'm reading a story. Then, oh, we're going to do a chapter about me and uh, something that happened yeah. to me. And I was like, wait, I want to know what's happening to this guy.
2: Yeah. So. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And as yeah, as a reader, I often find that a lot. I'm like, no, but we were just getting somewhere with this.
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously, it's an excellent ploy to get you to keep reading instead of right. going to bed <laughs> yeah. and getting that eight hours of sleep. <laughs> but um, Emile Hirsch is great. so.
2: Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to have to gonna go see it. But yeah, I don't know. Very cool. Wild is a great movie. Great complicated woman's story. And also, yeah, she's just a talented writer and it's a cool story. Definitely worth checking it out. I think, <laughs> and like so many people, she's had like people from all over the place, you know, with they've lost parents or whatever, or they've gone on hikes, emailing her and. You know, saying, you know, I think you don't know it, but like we're best friends because people just identified with that. And it's like, could you imagine if she had like judged her story and said, oh, no, that's like too personal or no no one would want to hear about that or whatever. Like, I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. The fact that she did something like this hike, it is pretty special. Like, could you imagine if she had kept that inside and all these like millions of people who really connected with that would never have had that opportunity? Who are you to assume that your story isn't a story like that?
1: Yeah, I often think about, um, like, my grandfather who was in the war, you know, and for years, like, until he got older, he never even talked about it. Like, I can understand, like, something like that would be scarring, but then it's like some of that stuff can get lost if you never talk about it kind of like you were saying, we need to be more open about a lot of the stuff that happens.
0: Or you stay lost, like, in that story. Like, you you don't. You stop forming connections with other people because you haven't, you know, you're not getting out of your head anymore.
2: Totally. Totally. No, it's huge. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm working on an essay about the life cycle of stories now. And it's a lot of the stuff that we're kind of talking about is in there. And it's, it's true. At some point you just has to come out. They can't live inside of us forever. I don't, I actually don't think it's healthy.
1: No, I would definitely agree with that. I, I'm really good at in, internalizing things and bottling them up. And so <laughs> I, I'm so good at to the point where, um, now that I've realized it and I'm trying to be more open and more sharing. And I think I've been very successful. Um, but that was at a point, uh, maybe 15 or 10 years ago, where I would have to like call one of my best friends and ask him to tell me something about my life because I had bottled it up so successfully. <laughs> mm. At least I thought successfully. Right. Cause then right. something came boiling up and I needed to ask him like what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. But, uh, you said, uh, you were, you're working on this essay. Um, do you have any like tips or want to share like how your workflow is or is that pretty organic as well?
2: Yeah. Well, I, actually it's a great question and I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I, uh, I'm trying to get myself to write just to, to write instead of waiting till I'm inspired to write something, which is often because I do enjoy writing, um, but like often it'll be like, okay, I'm you know I'm scheduled to like publish a post on like Tuesday, and it's like not till Monday evening that I'm like, oh my god, yes, this is how I'm going to write it, and like blah blah blah. Um, so what I'm kind of going to experiment with when I relaunch my website is I'm thinking of adding um, a box where people can ask for essays on certain topics and if it's something I feel like I can write about from my experience then I'm gonna accept the challenge and write about it Um, because I'm trying to get myself out of that just waiting till something inspires me to write about it Um, because that's not how you get better at things right you gotta do it consistently and I'm not necessarily doing that as much as I'd like to now so I'm experimenting with it Um, but one thing I really like and this is a a tip I found in a blog post somewhere—I forget what the website was—but um, they suggested taking an investigative journalist approach to writing about yourself. And so, when I'm writing something, when I'm writing a big story, you know, especially if it's a bigger project, um, or I'm a kind of unwrapping something big, you know, like like death or you know whatever, like a big moment in my life, um, I take these cue cards. And I write, what, okay, so what are the questions I want to answer for myself in this writing? And that kind of helps like guide and frame it, which I thought was a really kind of fun way of doing it. And I've been doing it ever since and really enjoy it.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's an interesting approach. Um, yeah, for me, it, it comes back to uh, the work-life balance thing again, because... Um, I am freelancing and so I am working, but then I often will get like, um, it's weird. I've started experimenting last year with the idea that, hey, maybe Chris is a creative.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And
1: and maybe, maybe he doesn't like structure and it wasn't an excuse. It was just sort of like, I need to do some work today, but when I woke up and I was in the shower, um, I had a great idea for, like, something I want to write about. So I'm going to sit down and do that right now. And um, it was working, but there's still that sort of uh, work-life blend where, like, you know, I'm making dinner for my wife and she's going to be home in 10 minutes. We're going to have dinner. And then I come up with an idea while I'm cooking and I'm like, oh, uh, I'm cooking right now. I will do that after dinner. And then we have like time together and like veg out or whatever. We, you know, we're relaxing together and spending time with each other. And then I never get to it. And the next day I wake up and go, what was that again? <laughs> like, even when I like make notes and Evernote, like, oh, this is a good idea. I don't have time to do this now because I have to finish this job. Um, then I come back to them in a couple of days and I'm like, I can't understand my notes. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm trying to find the the right uh, the right formula, like just drop everything and go? Or,
2: When that kind of strikes, I mean, I have two ways of doing it. Often, I, f- I know there's a science behind it. I still haven't read that article. But like often in the shower, you come up with ideas. I have a notebook beside my bed that like is there for things like that. Um, but often what I'll do is when I have ideas for a certain piece and I find like once the dam opens and I've got like one idea, other things bubble up. I send myself an email with like the first thing that comes to mind, and then I just keep replying to that email, like on my cell phone mm-hmm. as ideas come up, come to it later, take all of that out, just cut and paste it into like a pages document and kind of rearrange it from there. Or even one time I printed it out and cut out all the sentences and like physically rearrange them on the tables, <laughs> make a blog post. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I find like emailing myself all those ideas in a thread kind of helps
1: capture them that's a good idea i've actually taken to um like i said i, I use evernote so a yeah. couple of times i've just popped the microphone button and totally. talked Talked my things out, but it's kind of funny because here I am doing a podcast and um, listening to those like flowing ideas that I thought they sounded so great in my brain as I'm like trying to present them to my phone. It's like, so then I want to, um, <laughs> listening back to those, it's like, okay, is this a good idea now? Because I don't like the way this guy's presenting it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, that, those are some uh, good, good tips. You've, uh, I think we had uh, someone join us late in the chat room. And so he was like, who's talking? This is good advice. <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I gave him your link. And then on another form of social media, someone just said they have a great idea for an inspiration app. So. Great. Yeah. I do you remember you did a post about a uh, couple of apps too, like mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. You do a lot of meditation.
2: Trying to get back on the horse. I'm like, I'm finding um, when I'm in kind of tough spells, I find it easier to meditate because I like need it. But when things are just, you know, good, like kind of average times, I find it hard to stay on the horse, but it's really, it's really important to me. Helps a lot it was like one of those kind of like pieces that you put down to place and then like sleep is easier and then exercise is easier and then eating better is easier.
0: Mm, Yeah. It just, it creates a little bit more, it helps you stay in that uh, mindful state so that you're, you're paying attention to those other signals.
2: Yeah, exactly that. And also like when you're, you know, mindful of the present moment and like mindful of like who you are at your core, it's easier to not get cut off in comparing yourself to people. It's like easier to like not get sucked into this whole like cult of busy. It's, you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a grounding that I think is hard to get elsewhere there. It's like a nice easy way of like always having that center. Um, but uh, one app that I really love is called Bootify. Um and it's, basically it's so cool. It's like this beautiful little app that has this wheel that you pop open and each kind of piece of pie on the wheel is, um, a different type of activity. So they have, um, you know, waiting in line or working online or exercising or, you know, getting ready for bed or waking up. And in it, there's a whole bunch of guided meditations anywhere from like six minutes to 12 minutes that make it so easy to get started. Um, Cause like that's how I really got into it, is that the guided meditations first and then you can explore other ways. But it was so cool. Like you, their exercise one is like just trying to get you to like focus in on what your body's feeling as you're exercising. So easy and like so accessible. Um, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Good two dollars spend in the app store.
0: <laughs> Support an indie developer today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's good. We got a pick of the week. There you go. go. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: it's 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 uh it's amazing how uh like that sort of cult of busy, how I was realizing I think it was um I I think it might have been like dentistry related or something, but it was like the dentist was asking me about a tooth and I was like, I don't it just After a second, I was like, it just, it kind of blows my mind, like, that I don't even know my own mouth well enough, or I've never taken the time to just think, like, sit there and go, oh, that tooth is bothering me. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah. Like, if you're feeling, like, excruciating pain in your mouth because of a tooth, like, sometimes um, you don't even know which tooth it is. And how can that be? Because it's, like, part of you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's getting a little bit weird and deep, but it's true. Like we, we just don't even take the time to like, um, relax and get to know ourselves, like even biologically.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: I've had some uh, back problems and been going to physical therapy and it's like, I have always thought that I had a high tolerance for pain and I'm pretty sure that I do, but it's also like a challenge when he's like, so where does it hurt when it hurts? And I'm like, that's a great question. Cause the first thing I do is like, say it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I don't yeah. embrace the pain. I'm just like, Nope, Nope, Nope. Fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh it's a subject that um, it's one of those like, I think I even own a book somewhere on meditation oh. that I'd never finished. Like, it's like, I'm going to do this. This is going to be helpful. And, uh, until I'd say like the last three years, it's been something that I get closer like to just mindfulness,
2: mm-hmm. if
1: not meditation. So, um, especially moving here to Edmonton three years ago to be like in a completely different environment, like really started to open me up a little bit just because I'm like appreciating life more, like just standing around looking at things going, wow, you know, I could have back in Michigan. I could have walked by the same street a million times and not told you that house was blue. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, uh, there were lots of changes when I moved, but that was definitely a positive one.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. And the nice thing about mindfulness and meditations. is there's really no wrong way to do it. It's just whatever, it's signing your groove and whatever works for you. you and call it whatever you want. That's whatever true. helps you be, yeah. It's called I pizza. I Yeah. <laughs> That's self-care too, you know? Like sometimes self-care is like beer and pizza. That's cool too. But yeah, just being a little kinder to ourselves. Like, I, I don't know, this is like some quote, some saying, but like, you know, if we were, if we treated others how we treat ourselves, we'd have no friends.
1: <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, I don't know that we I've talked talk to that.
2: others how we talk to ourselves, we'd have no fr- negative friends.
1: <laughs> that is a very good point. You need to write that one down.
2: <laughs> and I think that's a good place to leave it this evening. Okay. a lovely conversation with you guys thank you for having me
0: yeah thank you for joining us where yes. can uh, I would say where can people find you online I hear that you are going to be uh, updating your website soon yes,
2: yes. Um, so people can find me online at Nicole-Belanger dot um, I guess for those of you non Francophone or Canadian people it's <laughs> B-L-A-N-G-E-R uh, I'm also @nskboulanger on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you go to my contact page on my website, that'll just go right to my inbox. So if you want to drop me a note, please feel free. I'm not that important. My inbox isn't that full. I'll answer you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to brag about, oh my God, Bandbox. inbox. No, you can email me. I'll answer you.
0: <laughs> Live in the inbox zero.
2: <laughs> no, not even. Inbox like nine sixteen. 16. Sure.
0: You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Thanks
2: for having me, guys.
1: Thanks so much again. Uh, you're definitely—I've uh, been inspired by reading your things, and I'm so glad that you took the time to come speak with us. So, thank you. I'm sorry we couldn't pay you a speaking fee. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's quite all right. Lovely <laughs> conversation is a is a great gift.
1: Excellent. And uh, don't don't flood her email too much because uh, I'm going to be the first one so that I can get some coaching.
2: sounds good night guys
0: thank you good good night night. bye this has been the first episode of season three of Montreal Sauce our guest tonight was Nicole Belanger I really hope I said that right and I'm sorry Nicole if I did not Um, I'm not uh, entirely accurate with my uh, French Um, mostly because I don't know French and never hear it hi um, so anyway you can follow uh, me on twitter at Paul D I won't tweet French um, you can also follow uh, Chris at Sick Days S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S and you can find Nicole online at Nicole-Bellinger there I went and tried to say it again uh, that's N-I-C-O-L-E hyphen B E L. A-N-G-E-R dot com Uh, and you can also find her on Twitter at N-S-K-B-E-L A-N-G-E-R and if you would like more info about Nicole uh, you can head to our show notes at MontrealSauce.com and we will have many links which you can follow to learn all about the topics that we discussed tonight so MontrealSauce.com And, uh, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.